and to be part of God uh, changing lives and even changing, changing the world. So you can open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 28. We'll be there. Look at this passage together. And let's ask the Lord to dwell with us as we dwell in His Word this morning. Lord, thank You for Your Word, Your amazing Word. Thank You for this section of Your Word and all that it means. Thank You for the impact Your Word has had in our lives, bringing us life, and the impact Your Word has had in the life of Your church, sending people as we hear these words, sending us, whether it's to the nations or to our neighbors, Lord. And we ask You, Lord, as we look at this passage and illustrate, Lord, You would help me serve You and Your people. And we ask You, Lord, by the power of You, Holy Spirit, to change us. To make us like You. Together, as a local body, and as individuals as well. I pray You touch every heart here uh, with Your truth, with Your Word. And be glorified through it, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me read this passage, if you can follow along in your Bibles. Just a little background uh, on the Gospel of Matthew, a wonderful Gospel. This is the conclusion of this Gospel. And one of the, some of the key themes in Matthew are God fulfilling His promises given to His people through Abraham. That's one thing you'll see through Matthew. These promises to bless Abraham and make him a blessing to all peoples. So you see that happen, and that's part of what's going on in this particular passage. Also, uh, the fulfillment of the promises to David for the, the ultimate king, Jesus, to come and to bring his reign. And so those themes of, of reaching all the nations, blessing all the nations, and reigning are in this paragraph, and that's consistent with Matthew as a whole. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, going through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's Word from Matthew 28. In 1950, there were no Christians in the nation of Nepal. Nepal is a beautiful country. That's about 30 million people. And in 1950, there were no Christians. It was mainly Hindu as well as Buddhist and some other uh, religions with that. In 1951, the missionary Bob Finley was in northern India and he climbed a mountain, looked into Nepal and asked the Lord asked the Lord to, to bring the Gospel, to break through in, into Nepal with His good news. Right around the same time, perhaps as a direct answer to that prayer, a man was proclaiming the Gospel in India, in the Darjeeling district in northern India, and his text was Hebrews 9.27, which says, "...it is appointed unto man to die once, and after that to face judgment." There was a man listening to that message. His name was Prem Pradham. And he was a, of Nepali ancestry living in India. He was uh, a soldier for the Indian army. And he heard that proclamation of that truth and he came under conviction that he was in danger of judgment. And so he went and sought out this man and asked him to tell him more. He heard the Gospel. He came to believe. 
And then God called him to go back to Nepal. He hesitated at first, actually. It took him some time. But eventually, he went back into Nepal and he started preaching the Gospel. He ran into a lot of dry years. He, uh, a time where he was not making any impact. This is a country that was resistant to the Gospel. But God broke through in a way. He had prayed for a woman who had been paralyzed six years and she was healed. She left her bed, began praising God, and as a result, um, many people in that area turned to Christ, including a Buddhist Lama, one of the teachers and leaders. He baptized the converts openly, and they were all arrested in 1962. Given a year's jail sentence, Prem was given six years in jail for baptizing, and the Buddhist Lama was murdered for his faith. Prem was sent to jail, and in jail, he continued to proclaim Christ. Amidst horrible, unimaginable circumstances, he was faithful to trust the Lord and to proclaim Christ. And everywhere he went, they kept transferring him from jail to jail because every jail where he went, he led people to Christ. He, he reached people from 12 different tribes throughout Nepal. And then when they were released from jail, they went back to their tribes and their areas and proclaimed Christ where they were from. Between 1960 and 1975, Prem spent 10 out of 15 years in jail. 14 different prisons. But he kept on proclaiming Christ and kept on discipling leaders. And there are leaders alive today who are a product of Prem's life and have brought, carried the torch forward. One of them, his name is Sundar Thapa, and he uh, heads Evangelical Christian Fellowship and He's planted over 120 churches, 36 by himself. He leads. Uh, he he started with his wife actually the Nepal Bible College, the first indigenous Bible school in Nepal. Today, actually uh, in 1950 there were zero believers. In 2001 there were 100,000 believers in Nepal. Today there's anywhere just 15 years later anywhere from half a million to one and a half million believers in Nepal. God started with one man who was faithful to proclaim, who was faithful to go and make disciples. And as a result of that, there are thousands, even millions now who know Christ and they themselves are going. And so I want to go to the text that shapes us in being people like Prem, like the Nepali church. I want to dig into Matthew 28, and learn about this text, and I want to illustrate from the life of the church in Nepal. The bottom line in this passage is this, that Jesus has commissioned us to make disciples of all peoples. He's commissioned us to make disciples of all peoples. And He does that uh, in this text. We learn about how that happens. It happens by going. So I want to talk about that. By going. It, it happens by baptizing and teaching. It happens uh, even though we are weak, and it happens as we depend on Christ. So those are the four points I want to talk about as we go. First, it happens by going. In this commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Actually, the, the word in the original language is more, uh, more maybe directly or literally interpreted, having gone make disciples. The going precedes the making of the disciples. The going is assumed is really what's being said. Being going ones, having gone, make disciples. 
As ones who go, make disciples. And this keys into the, really the whole theme of Scripture that our God is, is a God who sends. He sends His Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The, the Father, the Son, and Spirit send the church to go. We are to be going people. And this is a theme we see throughout Scripture. We see it here clearly. Go therefore, having gone. We are to be going people. It's a contradiction to think of a stationary Christian. A Christian who stays, or a church that stays to itself. It's the nature of the Father to be a, a mission God. He sends the Son. He sends the Son to work redemption. And the Son sends the church. And we as part of the church are commanded here as well to go, to be going. Now there's all different places we might go. You might go to the nations. You might just go across the street to your neighbor. But we are not to remain idle standing and waiting. We are to go. We're taught to go here. Now it's always been a problem really with the church. We, we tend to forget this message. And historically the church has done that. Actually, real early in the life of the church, uh, they, they failed to go. If you read the story of the church in Jerusalem, there was wonderful things happening in Jerusalem. I mean, they were going to their neighbors in Jerusalem, but they weren't going beyond that. And if you know the story, uh, God had to bring persecution to break things up to send them out. In Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 1, and then chapter 11, it speaks about this. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, uh, it says, And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then later in chapter 11, it says, Now those who uh, were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. God wanted to make sure His church was a going church, and so He did whatever was necessary. In this case, He brought persecution to send the church. That's how seriously God takes this commandment to go. And as we read Matthew 28, we should hear this call to be going. To go. To go wherever we need to go to make Christ known. It's assumed that we're going. That's what is said by Jesus here. And again, this has been a problem throughout history that the church tends to stop going. In, uh, in the late 1700s, the church, the, the Western church, was not really going. They had experienced a lot of revival and the Reformation had come, but they really weren't doing a whole lot of going. And God started to stir people up. There was one man, his name was William Carey, who was stirred up by Matthew 28 to go. But as he brought this truth to, to his churches, actually, he was opposed. Actually, in one of the meetings, uh, he was talking about all this, and a pastor, another older pastor, said, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, He will do it without your aid and mine. That was an attitude that was prevalent there. Thankfully, William Carey realized that was totally wrong and nonsensical, and he went. Brought the Gospel to India. He transformed missions, really. He was really the first Western missionary uh, among, among the evangelical church. And he actually, through his work, transformed India. Well, I want to report to you that, thankfully, it's not a problem in the Nepali church. They are a going church. 
And, and just to realize too that most of them have come to Christ in the past 15 years. Uh, they're young as well. The, the average age, the median age in Nepal is about 22. So in a room like this, as I was present, I was just about the oldest person in the room. I was mostly all young people, mostly people in their 20s, who have come to Christ. They've come to Christ out of Hinduism. They're coming to Christ out of darkness. But the good news has affected their lives and the Scriptures have affected them. And for them, there's, just, there's not a place for not being a going people. They've received the good news and so they start going to their families. They start going to their neighbors. They start going to unreached people groups in their own country. No one told them not to go. They see it in the, in the Word and so they go. And God's using them to transform this country. And they do this in the face of persecution, by the way. In Nepal, uh, it's strongly Hindu. Most of the people are converts from Hinduism. By the way, most of them have come to Christ through miraculous healing. Uh, someone in their family or someone they know has been healed miraculously of sickness. That catches their attention. They come and they, they put their faith in Christ. So I met people. I met people who were healed. I met people who that was their story, how they came to Christ. A lot of times what happens though is someone comes to Christ in a family and if it's a, if it's a woman, she will likely be beaten by her father and forced to, to convert back, which they don't do. And they'll often they'll flee. They'll have to flee their hometown. Uh, the young men as well uh, can have their lives threatened. I'll show you a picture shortly uh, and talk about some of the people. They had their lives threatened and lost all their inheritance, had to flee their village, but remain faithful to Christ and remain faithful to keep on going. If you could show the, uh, the next slide. You can go on beyond that one. That's William Carey. You go to the next one. Uh, just a beautiful country. It was beautiful to be there and see all the scenery. You can go to the next. We have a map. These are, that's an actual picture I took. Beautiful place. Next one, too, please. That's a picture of the nation of Nepal. And those red dots, uh, that this is from the Joshua Project, those red dots all represent an unreached people group. They're a tribe that has not yet been impacted with the Gospel. Unreached people mean that, means that there's not a significant impact of the Gospel. There may be believers in that tribe or that, that people group, but are not enough to, to basically carry on the mission themselves. So the, the church from outside that tribe needs to come in to help them, uh, lead them to Christ and build them up. So those are all unreached people groups. There are 250 unreached people groups in Nepal. Uh, from what I know, it's the most uh, densely populated country with un unreached people groups of any country. Uh, and the believers who are coming to Christ very early on have a heart to reach the unreached people groups. And if you could show the next slide. This is uh, some of the people that we taught. When we went, we were bringing classes, instruction on how to... Uh, prepare a sermon, how to deliver a sermon, how to proclaim God's Word. Uh, and so people came. The people came that were pastors, that were leaders, that were youth leaders, were women's ministry leaders. They all came to learn how to proclaim the Word. So uh, there's, there's a need there. There's a need for training. There's a need for training in, in expository preaching. So getting into the Word, uh, studying the Word, and then teaching the Word from Scripture directly. There's a lot of kind of topical preaching that goes on. So they'll hit a topic and they'll bounce around. So we were teaching them how to to preach expositorily. And so these are some of the students. Uh, you see me there, the light-skinned, taller guy. Uh, and uh, I think I have a slide later uh, where I was a little bit of a tourist attraction, I guess, because of my 
my looks, but the man standing to my left with the blue and white striped shirt, his name is Hira. He's a pastor. He lives in West Nepal. This group traveled uh, eight hours or eight to 12 hours to get to the class. Uh, they were from Western Nepal. And, um, and Hira uh, is working with the unreached people group of the Tarus. It's a tribe that's unreached. They, uh, I think the next slide might show more about the Tarus. This is a Taru woman who's bringing her child to the local shaman. So they, the Tarus um, are either Hindus or animists. They believe in spirits and all, the, all creation and so forth. A lot of shamanism. So when someone's sick, they go to the local witch doctor, the, sh- uh, the shaman here. So that's what's going on here. Next slide. Uh, the dark area is where they live. So they're kind of on the southern border of Nepal. They live actually, the Tarus live in the swampy areas, the jungle areas. They are pretty much immune to malaria. Uh, and so they could live in these areas, and no one bothered them uh, until recently when they started spraying for uh, malaria, killing the mosquitoes. That's been a real hardship for them because they were kind of isolated and safe. Now their land is being exploited by others, so they're being displaced. Um, so that's where the Taru live, uh, and they're an unreached people group. If you could go back to the slide previously, uh, one before that. And so uh, here is reaching the unreached, the, the Taru, and and in that group, the very colorful dresses that are uh, common for Taro women, so the women with very colorful dresses are Taro. Not everybody in that group is from Taro. And then the young man to my right, um, and, uh, he, he is Taro. And in the class, we gave them opportunity to, to preach, to practice what they were learning. And this young man, uh, uh, Daniboff, I think is his name, if I remember right, he had never taught, never preached at all, and he got up and did it, and he did it in Nepali, and that's not his language. It was his second language, so it was wonderful for him to get up there, and it was just, uh, he had things to learn. I mean, it wasn't a perfect delivery, but it was pretty good, but one thing that was really clear, this was a man that was so grateful for Christ and for salvation, so he shared his story and living in darkness and hopelessness and, and how someone came in to his village and proclaimed Christ, and he came to Christ, and he's zealous, and so he's being raised up by Hira to be a pastor in this area to reach his own people. Uh, it's very exciting just to see this, to meet these people and to be part of helping them grow, uh, and just, just seeing the Nepali church go. They're going. It's, it's just happening. Hira, I, my guess is Hira probably has known the Lord five, ten years maybe at the most. Uh, he's a pastor now. He's serving. They're very diligent to raise up new leaders and send them. And, and, and so they're going. They're, they're going to these unreached people groups. They're going to reach, uh, going to bring the Gospel, going to obey Matthew chapter 28. Um, so just a little bit about what's going on in Nepal with that. And, and in this passage, just to hear the command and to hear the example of our brothers and sisters in Nepal to go. So I want us to, as we hear this, to think, where, where are you going? Where am I going? Are we going or are we staying? Are we thinking that, you know, well, it's just about staying and being comfortable. That's always pressure that we have. We, we, we love comfort and we can want to just stay. And Jesus tells us to be going. And it might be to Nepal. It might be to the Taro people. There are people who are called. And, and my prayer, our prayer really, is that God would send many from our midst. I'd love to see 10 to 20% of our young people be going to foreign missions. But you don't have to go to Nepal. We've got plenty of people around us who don't know Christ. Um, in many ways, Nepal was really not much different from here. Um, there the people are 
believing in Hinduism and following that. It's nominal Hinduism a lot of times. Uh, and they don't know God. And, and the large percentage of the population doesn't know Christ, has, has not heard the Gospel. It's not that different here. Large percentage of our population has not really heard a clear presentation of the Gospel. And they may not know a genuine believer. They may not have had a chance to interact with somebody who, who will love them and represent the love of Christ and proclaim Christ. So, where are you going? Do you understand your life as a life of going, being sent by the Savior? And maybe your going is just going across the street. Maybe it's just going across the fence. It's, it's some sort of going. And if we let society define where we should go, we're not going to go anywhere. Because society says, you know, it's impolite to talk about religion, right? You don't do this. You don't, you don't, and you don't cross these barriers. But we cannot obey those norms. We must be going people who go and bring the Gospel following in the example of our Nepali brothers and sisters. We make disciples of all nations by going. In order to reach all peoples, we must be going. And, and wherever uh, we are on the spectrum of going, whether it's across the street or across the oceans, we need to be going people. We also make disciples through baptizing and teaching. Jesus commands us to make disciples to to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that He commands us. Disciples are followers of Jesus. They are ones who have believed in Christ and been baptized, who have marked their faith and their new life through the sacrament of baptism. The baptism follows from proclamation of the Gospel, from sharing the Gospel with people, and from them experiencing change in their lives, experiencing transformation by the Holy Spirit. New life. New birth. And then they're baptized. This is, this is what's assumed here. When Jesus says, uh, make disciples baptizing them, He's assuming there's proclamation of the Gospel. He's assuming there's conversion. There's change in their lives. And then baptism. Marking that they are now um, brothers and sisters. They are new creations. They belong to the Lord. Jesus isn't looking for church attendees. Nothing wrong with attending church. That's not what He's looking for. He's not looking for people who merely say, well, I kind of believe. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for people whose hearts have been changed, who have given their lives to the Lord, who are followers, and who learn to obey everything that He's commanded. It's interesting here. He's telling them to baptize and then to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So He wants the disciples here, the the twelve, the eleven plus the others, to to baptize people, to teach them to obey all that's been commanded. Well, what has He commanded? He's commanded them to go and make disciples and to do the same. So this cycle is to continue over and over and over again. We are to make disciples. We are to proclaim the Gospel. We are to baptize believers. We are to bring the Word. And we are to propagate this cycle again and again. It's wonderful to watch this happen in Nepal. It's so exciting. It's so encouraging. Uh, I just want to, One of the things I want to do in coming back is just to encourage you guys, to encourage us. Because I think in New England, we're doing this. We're, we're seeking to proclaim. We're seeking to see people change. And it can be hard work at times. It can be slow work. We, we love people in the name of Christ. We share the good news as we're able. And nothing happens. And we can't control that necessarily. But in Nepal right now, lots is, lots is happening. <laughs> Lots of things are happening. A lot's going on as the Gospel gets proclaimed. Lives are getting changed. People are being won out of darkness and out of Hinduism and and believing and having their lives transformed. We have some slides, I think, just to show uh, some of the folks. So if you could put those up, Ethan. 
And you can just keep the slides up, by the way. Um, this is a slide just uh, of, of different folks that we met. And just to, to let you guys know, they're, they're just like folks here. Yeah, they're Hindu, and yeah, they have different backgrounds, but they're, they're just like you and me. Uh, in the upper left, that's a man I met. We were on a hike in a rural area. It was a tea house, and I, I was behind the house, and I met him, and he was preparing a goat uh, for his family. It's their festival, their Hindu festival, kind of like their Christmas, where they will sacrifice a goat, and the family gathers around and eats the goat. And so I kind of I cut out the gross part that you wouldn't want to see there, the entrails or not in the picture. But anyhow, he, he was, his English was very good, and we talked, and he said, I said, hey, can I take a picture of that? Would that be okay? He said, sure. Do you want me to pose for you? And that, that's what he did. He's posed like he's <laughs> eating the goat. Um, and uh, lots of children in Nepal. It's the lower left. Those are two boys that were uh, right on the street where we were staying. Um, very, very sweet kids. Lots of kids. It's a very young country. Upper right, some more kids there. And in the lower right, you might be wondering what that is. I was at Pashupati uh, Temple, which is a large Hindu temple. And I was there with the team. And uh, a guy came up to me, and he was uh, standing next to me. And I thought he was trying to sell me something. There's a lot of begging and, and, uh, and kind of forcing themselves to sell you stuff. So, I, I mean, I'm a, kind of, I'm a city boy, and I know how to just kind of like, just pretend like you can't see him. So that's what I was doing. I wasn't looking. And, and then I saw the corner of my eye, he went over to his wife, and he, was, and he, he imitated me to his wife. He was like... <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I realized, okay, this isn't a guy trying to sell something. There's something else going on. So I looked at him, and he had a camera. And, and so I, I got his attention. I said, do you want me to take a picture? Uh, thinking that he wanted me to take a picture of him and his wife in front of their, the temple. It's a big, big deal for a Hindu person to be at this temple. And he said, no, 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 I don't want a picture, you to take a picture of me and my wife. I want to take a picture of you. Uh, I was like, okay. And so he came alongside and stood next to me and his wife took a picture. And then they, his wife came and he took a picture. And then they took all the kids. And then a crowd started forming, actually. <laughs> and people were lining up to take pictures with me. I don't know what it was. They, and so that's them doing selfies. You see it? They're like sitting next to me. I don't know if they thought I was some famous American or something. I don't know what it was. They did take some pictures with the other guys, but I was the, I was the main attraction. So we were joking that it must have been my double XL head and my pale skin that just kind of, you know, I was just seventh wonder of the world for them or something. I don't know what, but, but all that just to show you, th these are, uh, are people like you and I in many ways, and, and yet they need to know the Gospel. They need to be rescued from their sins. And, and God has a heart for them. And there's wonderful things going on. God is transforming lives. And, and as they come, I think the next slide, Ethan, if you could go to the next one. Um, okay, yeah, continue after the next one beyond that. Um, God is transforming lives through the Gospel. It's really just wonderful to see the power of the Gospel uh, as people come to understand the good news. And this is a uh, house church there. This church is about 20 people, uh, under 20 people. And it's very common there, house churches. So our churches, like I show them pictures here, and this is like a cathedral to them. Uh, to have this many people too is like, wow. Um, these guys were planted uh, under two years ago, and they planted another church just this past January. Um, and they're planning to do it again and again and again. And so I told them, like, you know, we planted a couple of churches, and for, in the States it was really a big deal for a church as small as us to plant two churches. And it... It just seemed laughable compared to what they're doing. Um, they're just, I mean, planting church after church after church. And that, 
That, I mean, they don't think about it. It's not like they're like, well, we're heroic and, or you know, we're taking risks. The Gospel is propelling them. It's changed their lives and they want to reach other people. And the best way to reach people is through, through planting healthy churches. So they just keep on doing it and doing it. This church is full of recent converts. The, the young man behind me to my left with a green shirt on, his name is Christian. Usually they'll take a, a biblical name on when they become a Christian. Uh, so they have traditional uh, Nepali names that are very long and hard to pronounce. Uh, and, and so it's good for us that they take on the biblical names. It's easier to, to know their name. So he goes by Christian. And he, uh, he came to Christ and his family uh, threatened him. They said they were going to kill him. And so he lost everything. He fled his village and he fled to Kathmandu. So this is a church in Kathmandu. And he's growing in the Lord and zealous for the Lord and, and wants to serve Him. Uh, the man to his left with the blue uh, striped checkered shirt, uh, his name is Susan. And he uh, is from the Brahmin class. His grandfather was a, a Hindu priest. He's come to Christ. He went to Bible school and he's, he's serving as an evangelist in the church. And he's, he's like 23 years old. These, you can tell everybody's really young. There's no one there who's out of their 20s. They're all in their 20s. Um, to, my, to the far right, this woman is the pastor's wife. Um, and uh, Sabina is her name. And she came to Christ because she was healed. She had a, a very serious disease. I think she was uh, like going to die. And last resort, went to a, a church to get prayed for and God healed her. She came to Christ and has led most of her family to Christ. Um, the tallest guy in the back is Pastor Titus. And he has a similar story as well. So, uh, it's just wonderful to see God changing lives and the Gospel having impact and, and bringing people to Him and they're just going out with the Gospel. They're zealous to do it more and more. If you go to the next slide, and, and sorry, guys, we're going to go a little longer. Um, I think it's worth it. Um, sometimes there's overtime when you watch a football game. Usually it's worth it. So I trust this is a worthy overtime uh, to take a little extra time to go through this. This is just some baptisms. Uh, in Nepal. We, uh, I got these off the web. They're not from the churches we were associated with. It's actually very dangerous to have pictures of baptism because uh, there are laws against uh, sharing the Gospel. You're not allowed to share the Gospel. And uh, if they, these pictures were made public, uh, they, people can get arrested and so forth. Um, so these are actually not from the churches we were with. But there are some pictures on the web that I wanted to show. These are, they're just full of joy having come to Christ. So next slide. Uh, here we are gathering, just teaching. They were hungry to be taught. And you can see just a little side thing that they sit, they don't sit in chairs, they sit right on the floor, these beautiful uh, oriental carpets there. And the men and women are segregated. Uh, the ratio of men to women, this is in the class we're teaching, but it's representative of the churches. It's about a two to one ratio, twice as many women as men. Uh, part of that is in Nepal, the women are more spiritually oriented. And so I think they're, they're more interested in spiritual things and, and so more come to Christ. Go to the next slide. So this picture, I want to talk a little bit about the man standing to my left. Um, his name is Benjamin. He's not from Nepal. He's from India. He's from a part of India called Nagaland. And the Nagaland is full of the Naga tribe. Uh, Naga means naked. Uh, and up until the early 1900s, they were headhunters. So that lower left is a picture of a Naga warrior. Uh, they, they were headhunters. They would cut people's heads off and carry them around and decorate them. They were fierce. Um, they were animists. And uh, some Baptist missionaries went there in the 1800s and started to labor. Actually, the first ones were killed. Uh, the next generation came and labored with the Gospel. 
And uh, really around the 1950s, uh, things started to change in, in Naga, uh, and people started to respond to the gospel. At this point in time in Nagaland, it's the most Christian country in the world. 90% of Nagaland uh, is believers. And uh, there are seminaries there. And now, uh, the thing that distinguishes the Naga is they are just as fierce for the gospel as they were, were for war. And they, are all, they all want to be missionaries. They all want to go. Uh, and so there are thousands of Naga missionaries going throughout the world. And so Benjamin went to Nepal. And he's standing to my left. Uh, that's Pastor Rick Harrington from First Baptist Haverhill. So I went as part of the team uh, with, with the guys from Haverhill. And Pastor Benjamin is, uh, is there serving. And he's in a slum area in Kathmandu, ministering the gospel and serving people and full of joy in it. Um, all that just to, to teach us uh, this, that making disciples means seeing people one to Christ, sharing the gospel, being baptized, being taught, Growing, and then they themselves repeating the cycle of going as well. And we see that happening in Nepal. It's very encouraging. The next part of the text I want to talk about is what it says in verse 17. It's profound, and I think it's really helpful because you, you could be listening to all this and, and be excited, or you could be listening to this and saying, no way, never. I'm not someone who's going to go across the world. Forget that. I don't even really want to go across the street because that neighbor is very intimidating. Um, and, and it's hard. And God understands that and He records in His Word things we need to hear. It says in verse 17 in chapter 28, it says, And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Isn't that interesting? This is the resurrected Christ. They know He's been crucified. They know He's died. They know He's been buried. They know He's resurrected. And He's appearing to them. And it says some are worshiping Him and some are doubting. Doubting the resurrected Christ who's even there in their presence. Isn't that interesting? You and I would never doubt, would we? We do, don't we? We struggle all the time. We doubt. We've seen so much. We've seen the grace of God at work and yet we're weak and we doubt. And this great commission isn't given to people who have it all together. It's not given to people who, you know, their faith is just peaked all the time. It's given to weak disciples. It's given to people who doubt at times, some even in the midst. This is probably the greater group of disciples, the 120 or so, and some of them are doubting. And yet they're still commissioned. And they're still given confidence in Christ. So we need to understand, guys, it doesn't, it doesn't take being strong to go. It takes, it takes Christ to empower us to go. We go as weak people. Don't wait till you're not weak to go. Go in faith. Go in obedience. Matter of fact, if you think you're strong, you're probably less, less prepared to go. It's the weak He uses. And He loves to show His strength in weakness. So we go as weak ones. We go because He sends us. We go because of the promises we see in here. And we'll look at that shortly. And it's just interesting to see in Nepal, this is a weak church in many ways. And it doesn't hinder them from going. Uh, they're, they're, they're young believers. They're poor. They're, they're unorganized. It's just different. The culture is different. It's, it's really, uh, to be in Nepal is to experience functional chaos. 
It's functional chaos. Uh, I actually I don't have a picture to, sh to post, but I sent uh, on Facebook and I sent it to, to Ethan, our resident electrician in training, a picture of their telephone wires. Um, they don't like, I don't know what it is, but they don't, when a, a wire doesn't work, they don't take it down, they just add more. So the, all the telephone wires, just imagine our telephone wires out here, there'd be like a hundred strings going from one to the next, and then all in a big mess, and then to the next one. And that's what it looks like. And that's just kind of par for the course. The driving um, is, if they made a video game that, that mimicked the driving there, no one would ever win it. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And they're all used to it, which is normal for them. Uh, they, like if, if you were to experience just one minute of what they experienced in driving, you would go home to your family and be like, you can't believe what happened today. This guy came this close to hitting me. And he just kept on going. He didn't care. Well, that's what it is all the time there. It's like cars and motorcycles, beep, beep. They beep the whole time. It's just, it's chaos. Uh, it's a country that, you know, is just very different than here. Um, but it functions. And the church, it, church is relatively weak there. But they have the Word. And they have the Holy Spirit. There's actually only, only one commentary in the Nepali language. One Bible commentary. There's hardly any resources available to them. That's one of the things we're doing in uh, result of our trip is we're, we're, you can pray for this please. We're, we're trying to get Wayne Grudem's systematic theology translated into Nepali. Because uh, there's a real need for them to have systematic theology. But it's not stopping them from going. They're not waiting around to get Wayne Grudem's systematic theology in, in Nepali to go. They're going in weakness because they've been commanded to go. We've been commanded with them to go. I experienced some of this sense of weakness on the trip. Uh, and just to report to you, everything went really well. Uh, we had a great time training pastors. We had a great time just all around learning so much. But it was in weakness. It started right away, actually, where I almost didn't make my flight. Uh, I, all these things, all these complications happened. Um, I got on the wrong train to the next terminal, and it took me into New York City. Uh, and I already was late for my flight, and, and, and I ended up getting on. Then we arrived in, in Nepal, and it was just culture shock right away in the airport. Uh, so uh, everything's kind of like those telephone wires. It's just kind of functional chaos. So we're at the terminal, and it's just full of people. Uh, who are speaking languages I don't know, um, who are pressing in. Uh, they just, they're very relational and warm, but also they don't mind pushing and stuff. It's just kind of, so they're, it's, just, it's just chaos. And I felt weak. I'm like, wow, what am I doing here? Then my luggage didn't arrive. I didn't have luggage for uh, probably eight or nine days out of the, out of the 14 days I was there. Um, but God took care of us. And it's just, it's a different country in many ways. Beautiful, but it, uh, it's, it's beautiful to behold. Uh, it's not beautiful to smell. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of sewage and garbage and stuff. And then they, they burn incense and juniper to kind of cover the smells. And you know, nice smells never cover stink well. It just makes it worse. Uh, and that's what it was like. Uh, and it made me feel weak. But you know what it did? It forced me in that to just say, Lord, help me. Because I feel like these people are so distant from me, I can't even relate to them. Give me your heart for them, Lord. Help me to see the beauty and the good that's here in this country and among the people rather than the stink. And he met me. And I had a wonderful time. And actually, uh, I, I miss my friends. Made a lot of friends there. And became part of their family. And, and, and I feel connected and I want us to feel connected to the churches there as a result. That's how God works. He doesn't wait for us to be strong. He doesn't wait for us to figure it out. He wants us in that vulnerable place to be weak disciples, but disciples who say, you know what? I might feel weak, but I, I serve a strong God. 
a faithful God. And that's what we see in this passage so clearly. The most important thing here, we go depending on Christ alone. We go depending on Him alone. This passage is bookended with wonderful promises. Jesus says at the beginning, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. All of it. I rule over every aspect. I rule over the the spiritual realm. I rule over those demons that, that may afflict you. I rule over all the spiritual realm. I rule over all the governing authorities. I rule over all mankind. I'm in charge of all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given Me. He reigns. He rules. He's in charge. So before He says anything about what we ought to do, He, he tells us something about Himself. That He rules over all things. In, in Nepal, they have a wonderful greeting. They, they, the culture greets... Uh, and it's just an important part of relational culture and honor culture. They greet like this, they, and they say namaste. Um, and it's kind of like, hello. Uh, technically, what it means is I, I greet uh, the image of God in you. Uh, but believers in the society doesn't carry that same weight, so it's a, they do greet non-believers that way. But in the church, they change it. And they say Jameson. And they say it all the time. Whenever you meet someone, you say Jameson. When you leave them, you say Jameson. Actually, when you go to speak, you start by saying Jameson. J means Jesus. Missy means uh, victory. The victory to Jesus is what they say. They remember this wonderful promise that all authority in heaven and earth has been given Him. And they build their lives on that. And Jesus wants us to build our going on that as well. Wonderful bookends that He's with us. He rules over all. And then at the end, and behold, I am with you. Always. To the end of the age. I'm with you always until the job is done. The end of the age, really what he's saying there, until the job is done. Until the job is done of going to all peoples and making disciples of all nations, I'm going to be with you. I rule over all things. I'm in control and I'm going to be with you. And in that context, we are to go. We are to go. We are to go across the street. We are to go across the world. We are to bring the Gospel. We are to make disciples. And He's so good to grant a sense of His presence and blessing. That was one of the things that was very profound in Paul. As I gathered, as we gathered with the believers, there was a heart connection. These are my brothers and sisters. There was a sense of the Lord in our gatherings. They are very musical. A lot of very talented people uh, there. It seems like everybody can play an instrument. And, and so we did a lot of singing and worship. So if you could just scroll ahead, Ethan. We have a couple of short clips of what their worship services were like. Uh, so that one, if you can just hit play on that. That's Pastor Benjamin, by the way, leading us. Uh, why don't you pause that? We've got to make sure we've got sound. Great. And you go to the next one, Ethan, there, and just go ahead. We'll go through all these. It's just the, the gathered groups there that we were with and being taught. And that's... Go ahead.
that, that was just one on, on preaching, and it was wonderful to hear. It's the same Bible, and it's having the same effect. They, these guys love the Word. And it's just wonderful to hear our brothers and sisters proclaim the same gospel and the same zeal. Uh, and they are, uh, they are, I think, naturally just passionate in their proclamation. Um, and so it's just great to receive from them as we're there. One more video, I think, Ethan. This is just worship at uh, another... Ethan, um, and and just encouraging again to see the the Lord at work and present with us uh, there as well. So these wonderful promises from the Lord that all authority in heaven and earth has been given Him, and that He's with us always to the end of the age, that should give us great confidence. Though we're weak, though we feel incapable, though we might be intimidated by the nations, we might be intimidated by our neighbors. Or our family members. Do you have a neighbor who intimidates you? Do you have a family member who intimidates you? And you're, you're afraid to go to them and to bring the good news and to bring the love of Christ. Well, these promises should make us confident in, in Him. Confident to go. Confident to risk. Maybe the Lord's calling you to, to begin to examine whether He wants you to go to another nation. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let intimidation stop you. Don't think, you know, it's just too much for me to do. Of course it's too much for you to do. We're weak. But He's mighty. And He's faithful. And we should put our confidence in Him and His promises and go. And be part of making disciples. All of us together. Not everybody goes to the nations, but the church as a whole must be going to the nations. And so we all have roles to play. We can support those who go. We can pray for them. We can give to them. We can give generously. We can go ourselves and we can be going where we are as well. Reaching our neighbors and trusting Christ. So in conclusion, as the band comes up, I just want to ask you to consider what the Lord wants you to do. What is the Lord calling you to do? In light of these promises, in light of what He's doing, in light of what He's doing in Nepal, what does He want to do in and through your life? And I'd just ask you to take a minute to ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to do? And to think of maybe a specific way He would call you to be part of going. Maybe there's just a person you need to go to to pray. Give me courage to go to that person, to reach out to that person I've been afraid of. Maybe there's some way you can get involved in global missions to take a step, support what's going on. There's lots of opportunities. Global Mission Nepal is the agency I went with. And they're uh, based partly out of Paul Miller, who's here in Haverhill. So there's lots of ways that we can serve. But let's just take a minute before we close in song to pray privately where you are in your seat. Just ask the Lord, say, Lord, in light of this, what do you want me to do? Where can I go?